We're looking at Amos chapter day today, Amos chapter 5 today. We're going to read a couple of verses from Amos chapter 7, and in a moment we'll stand and read. You all know the verse, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. There's a, another part to that verse, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But our message today is entitled, Seek the Lord and ye shall live. Seek the Lord and ye shall live. That's our title from Amos chapter 5. But we're going to start out in chapter 7. When you find chapter 7, verse 14, let's stand and read this. Chapter 7 and verse 14. Now to give you an idea of what we're reading, uh, Amaziah was the priest in that day. And he was a, a, a so-called spiritual leader that wasn't spiritual. He was against Amos the prophet and eventually would attack him and criticize him. So they're having a discussion here and Amos is going to answer Amaziah in verse 14. And in verse 14, the second line, he's answering him. He said, I was, I was no prophet. I was not a prophet, he says. Neither was I a prophet's son. But I was a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. That's figs. He was someone who gathered figs. And the Lord took me as I followed the flocks. And the Lord said unto me, go prophesy unto my people Israel. Now he was from Judah, the southern kingdom, but he's called the prophesy to the northern kingdom. Now, therefore, hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, saith the Lord, thy wife, he's talking to Amaziah now, shall be a harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy hand shall be divided in line. And thou shalt die in the polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. Think of this. The women of Israel would end up having to sell themselves just to feed their children. Think, think of the results of sin. The wages of sin is death, and we know that includes eternal separation from God. Now, we're going to preach sort of a negative type message today. There's only one small place in Amos where it's positive. That's where he talks about the return of Israel to the land and how God will restore them. But Amos is rebuking the nation for sin. And sometimes we need to recognize that God also is disappointed with the sin of our nation. Whether it's the protesters out there, you know, where there's signs carrying on or killing babies or not defending Israel or whatever. God's on the throne and the Bible teaches there will be a judgment of nations. I'm thankful that we are saved people. And that before the tribulation period, I believe we'll be raptured out. Let's pray. God bless us. As we take a look in the book for a walk in the world, Lord, we do not deserve to be here today. Help us not to be condescending towards people we don't agree with. Help us to be like Jesus, who sat and ate with drunkards and corrupt politicians, the publicans who took advantage of people and took money at the expense of poor people, yet he ate with them. He was a friend of sinners. And when he found a woman who the Jews had brought him, the Pharisees had brought him, who had been caught in the very act, he forgave her. And then he said, those that have no fault cast the first stone. Lord, remind us today to be compassionate toward this dying world. 
Because hell hath enlarged herself. And many are going down that wide road to destruction. Bless us, God, as we come by your way, the Lord Jesus, who is the way. We pray these things in his name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Here's a guy who was just herding sheep. He had never been to school. No training. God calls him. He didn't have a chance to go to the school of the prophets started by Elijah. He didn't have an opportunity like Paul to be trained by Gamiel and be the doctor of the law. He was not that kind of a guy. He was just your ordinary guy. Now, I've heard preachers refer to passages like this and say, that's why I don't go to get training and go to seminary because of, of this type of a passage. Well, that's foolishness because he didn't have an opportunity, but the difference is he was inspired. No preacher today is inspired. They may be inspirational, but they're not inspired. Inspiration ceased on the Isle of Patmos in 95 AD. God has not breathed on anyone since then. Now the Holy Spirit directs us and leads us. He indwells our body. And we may preach sometimes in the power, hopefully all the time, in the power of God. But we know that no longer are we inspired as a people, as a preacher, as a prophet. And yet he was. And God called him to go to the northern kingdom and prophesy against Israel, which the capital was Samaria. He was from Tekoa, right near Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. Remember the northern kingdom consisted of, consisted of 10 tribes. They had 20 kings in their history. 20 kings from the time of the death of Solomon until Babylon came in. They had 20 kings, not one of them were godly. The southern kingdom had 19 kings. Eight of them were good kings. So the northern kingdom, they fell long before the southern kingdom because of sin. Now here's Amos. He's a contemporary of Jonah. So at the same time he's prophesying, Jonah's prophesying. Isaiah, Micah, and Hosea are all prophesying at the same time. So there were prophets in the land. They were in different locations. While he was not educated... The Hebrew scholars tells, tell us that he, 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 this writing is beautiful poetry. His preaching was poetic. He, and he was a great orator, a great speaker with rhetorical skills that were unmatched. Isn't that interesting? Yet he was just a man of sycamore fruit, of figs, a sheep herder. And yet God put his hand on him and told him what to say. And when God puts his hand on you, no telling what can happen. But the gates of hell don't stand against the church and nothing's going to stand against God. When all the armies of the world rally against God, he's going to defeat them in Armageddon. And America's not even mentioned in prophecy because we'll be nothing at that time. And then at the battle of the nations, all the nations again, after that thousand years, Satan's released for a season. He rallies all the armies against Jesus. And once again, Jesus just speaks the word. And it's over. It's over because he is God Indeed. So he's preaching or prophesying here in verse in chapter 7. It's two years before the great earthquake. Now, historians tell us in 760 there was a great earthquake. So he's prophesying in 762. 762 years before Christ. In 763, there was a big eclipse that, that's talked about in history. So here he is in chapters 1 and 2. There are eight nations judged, including Israel and Judah. And then in, in our section here, there are three sermons. And then in uh, chapters 7 and, and following, there are 
our five visions. So we pick up in verse 1 and of chapter 5 of Amos. Hear ye this word. Verse 3, for thus saith the Lord. We find this phrase several times. These, these two phrases, we find them in chapter 3, in chapter 4, and here in chapter 5. Thus saith the Lord. God is speaking. And we know, go back to chapter 2, chapter 2 and verse 7, we know, first of all, there was immorality in the land. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. The middle of the verse, it picks up and says, And a man and his father will go into the same maid to profane my holy name. Here is immorality. So, Israel is full of immorality. It's a problem. Back in our text, we find here the mentioning of a, the virgin of Israel has fallen. That's not really uh, referring to a woman that hasn't slept with a man. It's a different word than Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14 tells us a virgin shall conceive and bear a child. We know Mary was a virgin. And that's the only way Jesus could come into the world because had she had relations with a man, she'd have taken a seed of a man, which was a sinful seed. So she's born of a virgin. Different word here. This is really referring to Israel, which had never been conquered up to this time and would be conquered. Talks here in, in verse 2 as well about the fallen and about the forsaken. It says here that, uh, it goes on to say, by a hundred shall leave ten in the house of Israel. And it says here in verse 2, the virgin of Israel is fallen and shall no more rise. She is forsaken. Israel has not risen again until Amos would later say they would one day be restored. She was forsaken by God. God turned his back on Israel because of her sin. Think about that. And since that day, God's turned his back on Israel. One day, 144,000 will be saved. But do you know this, that God has never forsaken his children? You say he forsook Israel. Yes, they weren't his children. But the Bible says he hasn't forsaken you. Jesus Christ was forsaken by God. Israel was forsaken and Jesus was forsaken. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did God turn his back on Jesus? Because Jesus became sin for us. And because he was forsaken, you don't have to be forsaken. God sees your righteousness. All your sin has gone upon Jesus and he's forsaken and all his righteousness comes upon you. Isn't that something? God looks at me and sees a righteous person. God calls me a saint. Someone said, you are a saint, Brother Dan, a Saint Bernard. <laughs> God says I'm a saint. That's right. He looks at me and he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus was forsaken so I wouldn't have to be. Isn't that wonderful? And so here we see they're reading their own obituary. Back to our text in verse 1, back up to verse 1, I have taken against you even a lamentation. They would lament because God turned his back on them. And they're reading their own obituary. They're reading their own fate. Think about that. And there would be crying and weeping as they were defeated and carried off into captivity. So there was immorality. And verse 3 says 90% of them would be taken captive or die. Think about that. 90% taken captive or die. The other 10% would scatter and flee. 
And we know in 48, when Israel came back, there were still remnants of those scattered throughout the region. In fact, Jews were scattered all over the world. They came back from 105 or 6 countries to 1948. No one scattered like the Jews. They were scattered all over the world. In 48, they returned. But only 10% would survive and flee and scatter. Again, read verse 4. Now, the middle of the verse, for thus saith the Lord, he goes on to say, Seek ye me. Notice verse 6. Seek the Lord and you shall live. Our title. Verse 8. Seek him that made the constellations. I'll talk about that in a moment. Look at the last line of verse 8. Seek him. And it goes on to say the Lord is his name. I wish they wrote Yahweh in here, but translators substitute the word Lord in there. But seek him who Yahweh is his name. So we seek the Lord. We seek the Lord. We seek Yahweh. It says, seek not Bethel in verse 5, nor enter Gilgal and pass not to Beersheba. Think about those holy sites. Bethel was where Jacob had that dream of the ladder going to heaven, connecting heaven and earth. And that's a type of the cross, amen? And he had that wonderful dream. And Yahweh came to him, the Lord God of Israel came and spoke to him and gave him promises and assurances like he gives us today. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll take care of you and your seed. And so what a wonderful place Bethel was. It meant house of God. And here the text, Amos says, don't seek Bethel. Why? Because Bethel at this time had sought idols. And idol worship was predominant in Bethel. And he said, don't seek Gilgal. That's another awesome place. Do you remember when they crossed the Jordan River? What did they do? They took 12 stones and built a monument there to remind them of God's direction, God's protection, God's provision. Don't seek Gilgal. Why? Again, idol worship. Don't, don't seek Beersheba, another place where Abraham made an oath with Abimelech, an oath of promise, a wonderful location, now idol worship. And Amos says, don't seek those places. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek him. Yahweh is his name. He says in verse 14, seek not evil, seek good and not evil. Verse 15, hate the evil and love the good. And so they're not to seek evil, they're to seek good. They're not going to find it in Bethel. They're not going to find it in Gilgal. Even some churches today don't preach the gospel anymore. I mean, there's so many false prophets in our land. I, I, I know that this is a difficult message to preach the negatives, but we have to preach that. We have to preach hell. Hell is talked about more than heaven in the Bible. We have to preach those things. There are consequences for sin. We have to recognize that in your own life. We can't just talk about our nation being in sin, but in our own lives we're chastened when we are in sin and we don't confess. So here he says there was immorality. Seek the Lord. There's idolatry. Let's just look at verses 5 and 6. He mentioned these places. Don't seek them. He says, uh, there, there's, in verses 5 and 6, seek not these places. There was idolatry. And, and then he says here, uh, in verse 6, it talks about fire. He talks about there'll be fire in the house of Joseph. In other words, the city would burn. And people would burn. And fire is always a type of judgment. Do you know, if you're not a believer, the Bible says you'll burn in hell forever and ever. Where the fire dieth not, the worm doesn't die. 
There's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, and you could ask for a sip of water and you wouldn't get one. Terrible to think about that, yet that's what Scripture teaches. And Israel would go through a hell-like chastisement, punishment from God because of her sin. Then there's injustice. Look at verse 7. Seek him that maketh, I'm in verse 8, excuse me, who, ye who turn judgment to wormwood. No justice, but bitterness. And bitterness. The last part of the verse, I'll, I'll paraphrase. Righteousness means nothing to you, he says. Righteousness means nothing to you. Sound familiar? What's going on in our world today? And it didn't start on Tuesday. Our country's been unrighteous for many years. For many years. Did you know in 1962, the liberal Supreme Court of nine liberal justices voted to overturn prayer and Bible reading in school? It didn't start today. I'm thankful that we have three justices on the court now that believe the Constitution should be accepted as it was written. And that's going to help a little bit. The three new ones and the two and a half other conservatives will keep, if, if they don't stack the court with five baby-killing justices, we've got a conservative court for a while. Most conservative, most conservative court in my lifetime and yours. But you think about our country. John Adams read four to five chapters in his Bible a day, and he was vice president of the American Bible Society. John Adams. I think of Washington, George Washington, ordered all families to go to church on Sunday and worship the Lord. Think of that. The presidential mandate. Now we'll be told maybe to wear masks or something. But we're not going to be told to go to church. Too much public gathering. And, and we're going to be told things maybe. And, and I'm not saying that Trump was our savior, okay? I want him to be saved. And I want Biden to be saved. And I want Harris to be saved. They're not saved. They all need to be born again. And if they're born again, truly saved, they'll live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, a Christ-like life. So pray for their salvation every day. God's still on the throne, and God can manipulate the king's heart, the Bible says. So pray for their salvation. That's what we should do. Verse 8, we find here, it says, Seek him that maketh the seven stars of Orion. 2,800 years ago, Amos wrote this about the constellation of Orion, the seven stars. Isn't that something? All those years ago, he wrote under the inspiration of God. I don't believe he had any way of knowing other than what he could see with his eye, what, what, what the stars and the planets, but he wrote under the inspiration of God. And today we know there, that is a seven star constellation called Orion. We know that. Different name today, but 2,800 years ago, and turneth the shadow of death into the morning and maketh the day dark. He says, he says seek him. Yahweh is his name. So we seek the Lord. He made the stars. Think of that. Colossians tells us Jesus created all things. And Colossians goes on to say, and he controls all things. By him all things consist. Think of that. God holds the planets in their places. We've, we mentioned that several weeks ago. By him all things consist. He made it. He controls it. He controls the planets. He controls our Earth's atmosphere. And one day in the tribulation period, the Bible says the sun will scorch. Man, we won't be here. That's the second half of the tribulation. We're gone. But the sun's going to scorch, man. I don't fear that, do you? Nope. Because we're gone. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. I mean, think of that. 
I'll be with him, raptured up in the twinkling of an eye in the moment, one one hundredth of a second, I'm gone. I'm not worried about global warming, praise God. It's going to happen. And the boils, they're going to stay on men and burn them and burn them and burn them. And all the creatures and all the things that happen, the water will all be polluted, the Bible tells us. A third of the, the fresh water is polluted. A third of the ocean water will be polluted. The fish will die. The, the crops won't have water. The animals will die. There'll be famine, the Bible says. Wars, rumors of wars. There'll be death. All these things, disease, the paleness. All these things are going to happen. But I'm a child of the king. Because of the grace of God... I won't experience those things. So here he says, seek the one that made these lights. We mentioned last week the sextant. Something they could put on a ship and guide them. Do you know what our sextant is? Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. You want God's guidance? Here it is. Follow him. We mentioned Sunday night. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I think it was Wednesday night. Lean not on the, I don't understand. I can't lean on my own understanding. In all my ways I can acknowledge him and he'll direct me. How will he direct me? His sextant. The lamp and the light. So we have to trust in him for his leadership. In verse 9, that strengtheneth the spoil against the strong. He's going to destroy the strong and crush their defenses. Then look at verse 10. They hate him that rebuketh in the gate. What does that mean, in the gate? Well, all leadership took place in the gate of the city. It's where the leaders, the elders were there, the leaders were there. The politicians, whether they were crooked or good, they were all there and they made decisions. You can read that in Deuteronomy. It clearly states that's where the government would reside in the gate of the city. Remember, Boaz went to the gate to find out about whether or not Ruth had other kin that would redeem her. Throughout Scripture, you'll see that phrase at the gate. That's where leadership, Sodom, that's where the leadership resided. Notice what it says here. They hate him that rebuketh in the gate. Because there were some righteous people in politics, some righteous leaders in the cities. And what did the people think of those people? They hated them. They hated them. Marvel not, Jesus said, that they, if they hate you. They hated me. They're going to hate you. The world hates righteousness. We're just pilgrims here. This is not our world. This is the devil's world. We're just passing through. We're passing through to leave the gospel track and to help a neighbor and to be good and to witness, send missionaries to try and evangelize this ugly world. And let me tell you something, I'm proud to be an American. I should say I'm thankful to be American. Sometimes I'm embarrassed to be an American, but I'm thankful to be an American. But I'm much more thankful to be a child of God. My, my citizenship is there, man. It's there. I'm thankful for God's family much more than this world. And so here God says they hate the leaders and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. That word abhor is translated abomination. Let me tell you something. People who stand and speak against sin are hated in this world. I wouldn't doubt if in 20 years they'll say preaching against sodomy is hate speech and we're not going to allow it in churches. 
I mean, it started with taking Bibles and prayer out of the schools. It's just getting worse. Now they want to infiltrate the church. I hope I'm gone before then. Otherwise, I'm going to die at that time, I guess. <laughs> or go to jail or something. I I'm not going to stop preaching against sin for any government, for any leadership. So, and, and I hope I have the courage to stand that way to the day that I die or am whatever happens with our government. I hope it's not in my lifetime. I'm thankful and I praise God for, as I said, the most conservative Supreme Court in my lifetime. And we, we are thankful for that. So they hated Amos. And Amaziah even abhorred him, hated him, stood against him. So there was immorality, idolatry, injustice. Look at intolerance, verse 11. They didn't care about the poor. They took advantage of them. For as much there as you're treading upon the poor. They just took advantage of the poor. They had houses of stone, it says. Archaeologists have found those houses. They have some. They've discovered, uncovered them. The reason they have to uncover things is as cities grow, they build upon the ruins. They're called tells. They're mounds with archaeological evidence. An old city will be built upon. When the walls go down, they'll build another city on that mound, and that's why we have these tells over there, these big mounds. Underneath those mounds are cities and houses. And they found these types of houses. And they, they had these fancy houses for themselves, and they trampled on the poor. Then there's indulgence. Look at verses 12 and following. I know your many transgressions. This is one of 12 times the word in transgressions is found. They had all kinds of problems, all kinds of sin. Here's indulgence. Look, it says, they took bribes. Verse 12. Your mighty sins. They affect the just. They take a bribe. They turn aside the poor at the gate from the right. They do everything wrong, including taking bribes. Think of that. Sounds like our country, I guess. I heard a little chuckle. I mean, we definitely see that in our world. You know, folks, this is not as much about America as, is it about, as it is about us. We're the difference makers. We're the difference makers. We're to go and fulfill the Great Commission. When Jesus came, he didn't talk about Nero, who was throwing Christians to the lions. He talked about God. He said, There's the only way to get to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but by me. He didn't spend his time criticizing the tax collectors. He led them to Jesus. One of his disciples was Matthew, a crooked tax collector. I, I love it. You know, Zacchaeus. I love all those stories about people who were corrupt, about people who said, I'll give everything I have back, Lord. I'll give it all up to follow you. That's what Jesus did. He didn't revolt against the ridiculous tax system. They took advantage of Jews. They took advantage of hard workers. They had tax places everywhere along the road. They collected door to door. I mean, it was tax oppression. And Jesus said, give, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. What was Jesus' commission? He says, as my father has sent me, so send I you. Every one of you. Every one of you. Did you know every woman's to be a preacher? Pastor, what are you saying? I didn't say a pastor. Pastor and deacon, limited to men. We know that. But study the women in the early church. Man, they were something. I mean, in a Baptist church, if I called on a lady to pray, somebody would get upset, but in the early church they prayed. 
Read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. They prayed publicly. Man, if I did that in the Baptist church, I may be, I may be not. I don't know. I'll let the other preacher start with that. I'll just preach it, that women are huge in God's calling. The women that went to the mission field when men wouldn't go. The women that took care of Paul and met his needs. The women that stood the test throughout Scripture. Thank God for them. Amen? Thank God for them. Men sometimes don't measure up. Did you know there's a stat somewhere, I don't remember what it is, but I know that more women are involved in church than men. Women are faithful Christians more than men. There are, thank God, some good men, and we have a bunch here. But I mean, the fact is, women over time have been godly. Look at verses 14 and 15. Verse 14 again, he says, seek good and not evil. And he goes on to say that she may live. Seek good that she may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, that's, that's Yahweh, the Elohim, the Almighty. Now, we find the word Yahweh ten times in this passage. We find the word Adonai twice. In verse 3, the word Adonai in the first line. There's small letters after the capital L. And in verse 14, you find both, but you find Yahweh ten times in here. It's all about the name Yahweh. It's all about the Lord. I love what Proverbs says. What is his name and what is his son's name? Talking about the future. You see, one would come, be born in a manger, and they'd call his name Jesus for he'd save his people from their sins. And they didn't know the future God in the flesh. They didn't know his name. That they were told when Mary announced the baby's name, she announced it. Here, verses 14, then verse 16, it says, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord. So it says, Yahweh, verse 16, Elohim, the Almighty, the Adonai. Adonai means master, master, verse 16. Is he your master? Is Yahweh your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your master? He's my Lord. I want to serve him. I want to serve Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Lord. So here we find the indulgence, all the sin. And we get to an important verse, verse uh, 15 here. He says here, hate the evil and love the good. And establish justice. We talked justice, judgment is the word, but it's the same as justice in the gate. We need justice in America. You know the next time we're going to have justice in this world? It's when Jesus sits on the throne. It's going to be an unjust world for the rest of the time. Men are going to wax worse and worse. There'll be no justice. Our justice system's been messed up for years. There are people in prison, been there for years and years, for minor infractions, and people are let out that have been pedophiles and rapists. You figure it out. Well, if you don't pay your taxes, you'll go to jail. The IRS targeted 401Cs, Christian organizations, for several years, went after them with a vengeance. And yet we got politicians that are corrupt. Explain that. Used to, when I was a kid, used to have a saying, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I don't know. There's not any justice. And it's only going to get worse. I thank God when we have an honest judge in a courtroom and you can walk in there and know he's going to judge rightly. Thank God for the few that are left. But it's going to get worse. I tell the young generation, don't be shocked what you see in your lifetime. I never thought I'd see what I see in my lifetime. 
But our country and our world is getting worse. So this verse is huge. Look what it says. Hate evil and establish judgment in the gate. That's in Washington, D.C. today. In Jerusalem. In any city where the leaders sit. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant. Gracious to the remnant. Look at Judges chapter 21. Judges chapter 21. Verse 22. 21, And it shall be when their fathers and their brethren come and to us and complain that we will say unto them, be favorable unto them for our sakes. Favorable. Back to our text. That word translated gracious is translated favorable there in Judges. In Job, it's translated pity. Job said, have pity on me. In Proverbs, it's translated mercy. So here, here, Amos is saying, hate evil and establish good, establish good in leadership, and it may be that the Lord will be gracious with the remnant of Joseph. God may be gracious with the children of Israel, but guess what? 38 years later, Israel was destroyed because they didn't listen to the prophet Amos. And God destroyed the people. But yet God says, I offer, I offer grace, mercy, pity. I offer favor. I offer all that to my people. But they got to choose good and not evil. Verse 16 points out professional mourners. That's something that was common back then. When someone would die, you'd hire people. You'd hire people. Look at verses 17 and or verses 18 and 20. Woe. Great study in the Bible is the study of woes. Woe unto the, you that desire the day of the Lord. People say, oh, I wish the day of the Lord would take place, and they don't understand what the day of the Lord is a reference to. The day of the Lord is not a reference to the rapture or the return. The day of the Lord always indicates judgment. Woe unto you that say, boy, I wish the day of the Lord would come, because it says here, the day of the Lord is darkness. And there will be literal darkness in the tribulation period. Look at verse 20. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark and no brightness in it. I mean, you think of what's going to happen to this world during the tribulation period. The Bible says God will take him that hinders sin out of the way. Now, the Holy Spirit's omnipresent, so he's not going to disappear, but he's not going to work like he does in the church age. The Bible said those people who reject God in this age will believe the lie. Will believe the liar, the Antichrist. When the rapture takes place, those who are left behind will be in darkness and they'll believe the father of darkness, the father of lies. So don't wish, don't wish for the day of the Lord. We wish for repentance and then the rapture. Again, verse 4, what's, it goes on to say, seek ye me, middle of the verse. Verse 6, seek the Lord. Verse 8, seek him, the Lord. Yahweh is his name. We're not forsaken, folks. Thank God that he didn't turn his back on his children. He turned his back on Jesus for our sakes. And thank God that, that uh, he's offered to be gracious with us. To be gracious with us. 
Believers need to seek the Lord. You say, well, I'm saved. Well, get on your knees and seek his direction. Follow his lighted pathway. Amen? Follow his pathway. Believers need to seek sinners. Quit attempting to be the judge. Jesus Christ is going to sit on the throne by God's appointment and judge the world. We need to be compassionate toward this crowd. When I saw that crowd in the street and I saw them holding up kill pigs, a feeling came over my flesh. I wanted to jump right out there and just start shooting all those people. And that's not the feeling I should have. I should have a feeling of compassion because they're going to hell. And they'll cry out and they'll scream, why didn't someone tell me? I live near a Christian. He never told me about it. I ask people at work questions about the Bible and no one ever told me about Jesus. You know, it's interesting at the great white throne judgment, it says God's going to wipe the tears from everyone's eyes. Why? Because we'll be witnesses there. Can you imagine being there and seeing one of your neighbors you never witnessed to cast into hell forever and ever? We're going to be witnesses there. If we don't have compassion for souls, nobody's going to. There's no help for that crowd outside of Jesus. They'll, they'll try drugs. Won't help. They'll get in trouble and turn to alcohol. It won't help. They'll seek a secular counselor who has no help for them because only a Christian psychologist can take the logos and apply it to the psych. Only the Word of God from that perspective can help anyone. So it's our job to go into all the world and preach the gospel. As my Father sent me, so send I you. It's not our calling to fight a political battle. Trust in the Lord with all our heart. And when we don't understand, we just keep trusting in Him. And He'll direct us. And what is this clear mandate in Scripture for the church? What is the command? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Whether you're a woman or a man or a boy or a girl, you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the answer to the world's problem. Jesus, let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for giving me the energy just to preach and the love for your word. Thank you for these people here that love you. And God, if there's someone here who's not saved, I pray today they'll come forward and say, I, I need to be born again. I want this Jesus. I want this Jesus. Lord, help us to be obedient to your call as we go into all the world with the gospel. Bless now. Bless our day. Bless our week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.